Welcome to the Wealth Edit Podcast, a place where talking about finances is only polite. We talk to women and hear the stories behind how they have built their beautiful lives, whether that be inside or outside the home. I'm Emily Lasseter, and on this show, we're interviewing psychologists and business partners, Julie McDonald and Lisa Graham. Julie and Lisa share with us the importance of having a business partner you like and trust, as well as introduce us to their new program, Transforming Success. This group coaching program targets emerging leaders, and the curriculum is built around recurring challenges professional clients frequently face. Hi, everybody. How are you? Hi, everybody. Okay, so this is going to be a little different today. Um, We usually try to make the meeting where it's... um, where you can see the speaker front and center. And I think there's still a way to do that. If you go up to um, the upper right-hand corner of the black space in Zoom, you can see a space that says gallery view or speaker view. You just wanna click on the the gray um, box that says speaker view. That means whoever's speaking, that's who you're gonna see during the meeting. That's just a little administrative thing. Um, that might be helpful. So I'm Lauren Pearson. I'm the founder of The Wealth Edit. I'm here with Emily Lasseter. She's the co-founder. Hey guys. If you are not familiar, because we have some some new faces on the call, if you're not familiar with The Wealth Edit, it is a community where women have come together and we talk about money, which um, a lot of women don't feel comfortable talking about money, which is exactly why we're talking about it in a semi-private environment. So today, every week, we have what's called Wealth Edit Wednesday, where we feature really brave and interesting women that we respect so much who have something important to add to our conversation. Um, A lot of women's conversations have a lot to do with money. We just don't put it in those terms because we think that it's, or we've been taught that it's tacky or taboo. So anyway, we are busting through those barriers in a, in a semi-private environment. So today we have um, Julie, Julie McDonald and Lisa Graham. They have been um, working together for, is it 14 years? Well, we've been friends for 19 years and we've been working together in a partnership for six years. Six years. Okay. And they've recently formed something called Psychology at Work. And so we had them all on today and we're just so grateful that you're here. And so again, we just want to start very open-ended. Just kind of tell us your story, um, how y'all created a partnership and you know what you're doing currently today. Yeah. Okay. I'll jump in. And Lisa and I usually like just kind of ad lib over top of each other sometimes. So we'll just sort of tell you our story and, and she'll chime in. So about, I guess it was about six years ago. So first of all, I'm a clinical psychologist. Lisa is an organizational psychologist. And um, we first met when, my, when I was pregnant with my daughter. So that's how I know it was 19 years ago because she just turned 19. But um, over the years, you know, we would do shop talk, not really talking about anybody, you know, um, in particular or sharing any confidential information, but just sort of the things that we were seeing coming up in our practices. And so we went on a retreat and we were both feeling a little bit stale in our, um, in our practices. So we wanted to kind of 
brainstorm about some different things that we could do that would make it more interesting or, or provide, you know, different kinds of services. So that was really where the idea of our um, flagship program, Transforming Success, was born. There's a much longer story there, but it came about as a result of just two friends and colleagues going on a retreat and saying, like, what could we do that would be different, interesting, and fun? Um, so Although I think I always like to add that we were not thinking about doing something together when we went on that retreat. The goal was um, to spend half of the retreat on me and half of the retreat on Julie and helping each other think about what we could do separately. So um, it was not planned. Um, it, it really emerged organically. Yeah, it was one of those things that came out of like a number of different threads that we sort of pulled together having to do with the common challenges that we saw um, with professional women experiencing in both of our practices, um, our, our different experiences with doing group coaching and wanting to pull in um, some really cool and interesting research in positive psychology. And so we ended up creating a program that was a group coaching program um, with all these different elements that we wanted to be able to offer to women um, to address those challenges that we were talking with them about individually um, that ended up being much more powerful having conversations about in a group together. So um, that's that was kind of the, the um, beginning of our partnership. Awesome. And so, and now, so y'all have got McDonald Graham and now you also have that course mm -hmm. and it's providing in that group setting. And I know that women, I think really connect with other women and it's so encouraging where you realize you're not alone and what you're dealing with. Is that one of the reasons why y'all kind of structured it that way? Absolutely. You know, um, I think it, one of the things that Julie and I were so excited about when we connected with you all at the Wealth Edit is that I think the underpinnings of the work that we're trying to do and that you're trying to do are very similar. Um, we, it is hard to overstate the impact of being together and learning together, especially for women. For some reason, we need permission from other women who we respect um, sometimes to make the changes that we want to make in our lives. And it's interesting because um, when Julie and I first were trying to sell Transforming Success, a lot of the people we were pitching to were men because they were the people who were in the decision-making um, chairs. And um, it was, we, we would hear two things. One, why is this a women's program? Because I need these things too. But two, that they really didn't understand how essential the group setting was to the program. It, they just didn't get it. Um, but I will tell you that it has been, um, I can sit one-on-one -on -one with someone in an executive coaching session and tell them you're not alone. This is something that lots of women experience. Um, I promise there's nothing wrong with you. And they're kind of like, uh-huh, yeah, thank you for saying that. But if they're in a room of other women who they admire who are experiencing exact same challenges and they see that that's true, it has a much deeper effect. Yeah, and the, the only thing I would add there, and I think Lauren, you and Emily have probably encountered this in Wealth Edit as well, is we are braver together. Yeah, we are. You know, when we can have these conversations and support one another and feel like, okay, I'm not the only one who doesn't know the answer to that question or doesn't even know how to think about this. We can, we can get our courage from one another. So that's one of the things that we love about the program. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that Lauren and I like starting the wealth that it, I mean, so much of it for us as we, you know, as we're getting off the ground, you know, we're like present over perfect, but like knowing that she's with me makes that so much easier to do 
you know, like when you have one another and say, we're just going to go forward. We're just going to do, you know, we know it's not going to be perfect to begin with, but let's just do this. And I, I know, I can just tell you, I, I know I wouldn't have as much confidence if I didn't have Lauren with me, like, let's do this together. So I think and that's same, same here. And what's interesting is we recently through the wealth edit launched these wealth circles and just what you described, I mean, every woman just kind of feels like they're on their own Island mm-hmm. until you get us together. And we're working through some of these like fears that we have around, um, you know, goals for our lives or things that we're kind of caught in like, wow, do we pay for help for things around us? Cause we're at such a busy phase or mm-hmm. not. Is that a good use of money or not? And it, when we, it, what's magical about these smaller groups is a lot of people are dealing with the exact same thing, but you just yep. feel like they aren't until you hear it. So just to kind of I, affirm your last point and, yeah. um, and to talk about what Emily talked about. So y'all are in this great partnership and Talk about how, because that's exactly how I feel with Emily, is we're launching the Wealth Edit to go through this with someone else has been really impactful. So talk about y'all's partnership and how that's been a success. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, Lisa and I would say the same thing. Like, we never would have done this on our own. It's too hard. It's so hard. Like, it just, there's so many things that you need to figure out, like launching your own business. And so, I mean, it's helpful, first of all, you know, to have a partner, but I think I think more importantly, someone that you trust, like that you absolutely trust, you know who they are, you know their values, you've been through stuff already together. And, um, you know, I mean, there are certainly days when I show up, I think yesterday was one of them. Today's probably going to be another one where I'm like, Lisa, you know, I'm, I'm at about 20% today. I'll give you hundred percent of my 20%, but that's all I've got. And she's like, that's okay. I gotcha girl, you know, and then it switches. So, um, like being able to have those honest conversations and sort of say where you are, and then we'll just work with what we have, I think is, is super important. Yeah. Julie and I have, um, this imaginary, we call it a floaty. Um, and so we pass it back and forth. And so she'll floaty say our head above water. <laughs> she'll say like, I need the floaty. Can I have the floaty? I'm like, girl, you got it. I'll handle all the emails today. I'll handle this, this, this. And then, I, you know, luckily there've been very few times. I hope that I'm not jinxing us by saying this, but very <laughs> few times where we both needed the floaty at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing that I want to add though, about, um, partnerships and partnering with a friend is that um, it's not for everyone. Yeah. Julie and I do, um, you know, we work with family businesses um, and we've also worked with uh, partnerships that have not worked. And so I think that it's really important if someone is thinking about going into business with a friend or a family member, that there are conversations that happen upfront about the problems that could happen and how we're going to handle those problems when they do happen even though we don't really anticipate that they will. Mm-hmm. Um, and you well, have to- and Yeah, what I would add is, and having ongoing conversations, like Lisa and I had a hard conversation yesterday. It was a hard conversation for me because I had to you know, share with her some struggles that I was having. And um, you know, knowing that she would be supportive and we would talk through it and, um, you know, and, and conflicts arise about how do we wanna do this? And you, know, to, you have to be able to, um, you know, kind of walk into that vulnerability of like, I don't know how this conversation is going to turn out and I don't want it to damage our relationship. So we have to be really honest and really, um, really uh, candid and trust that we're going to work through the conflict together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome advice. And I think that that's so true and so real. 
Um, you know, because the, it does, it does require Lauren and I were working through some documents the other day. And I was like, we just have to lean into the uncomfortableness of it. I mean, you know, because we're, all, all we were doing was leaning into all the worst case scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when you trust the person and you respect them, it's much easier to have those conversations. And um, yeah, but you do have to be willing to lean into them. Yeah. yeah and, and what we found is, you know, Lisa and I offer different perspectives to one another about things. And sometimes that creates some tension, not, not bad tension, but just, you know, we got to figure out how to do it. But what we, what we always find is that when we talk through it, we arrive at a better solution than either one of us would have come up with individually. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge bonus, but, yeah. you, but you have to be willing to like wade in and, and have it. Yeah. Well, kind of in the same vein, but shifting gears a little bit, um, because I think this leads directly into like creating like strong leadership skills and how important that is when you are negotiating for yourself or you're entering into a partnership. So I know that transforming success deals with that a lot and working with women and men, I guess, on that. So tell us why it's so important to, to work on those skills like before you really need them, you know, and, and especially in today's world where we're all being called to like different roles than we ever might have imagined us having. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll start Lisa and, and you jump in. I mean, I think you made the, you just made the point, Emily, which is we never know when we're going to need to step into, you know, really difficult, important conversations and, and sort of lead the way. And I think we are in a lot of moments in our country and in our culture right now where we need strong leadership. And when you're managing, you know, really difficult situations, that's not the time to go pick up a leadership book and figure out how to do it. Like you have to have that in your bones. You have to have practiced it. You have to have it, you know, you, you, you have to be behaving in a way that, that is already consistent with your values before, you know, you're um, asked to, to, you know, take on a leadership role in, in a particular situation. And so, um, you know, that's why we, we encourage people, you know, to, to do the foundational work, like transforming success is all about the foundational inner work that we have to do to be good leaders before we start leading others. Um, and I'll just mention Lisa and I are both, um, facilitators for Brene Brown's Dare to Lead program, which is also foundational work in how to be a good leader. So, um, getting that work done. Yeah, go ahead. Or I, I want to add that we believe that you have to be right with yourself and know how to manage yourself before you can be an effective leader of others. And that inner work is not work that can be done quickly. And so I think that's another answer to your question, Emily. Like, why do you have to do this work ahead of time? Because, you know, I, all of my coaching clients right now um, are people who are in leadership positions. And I just had a call with, with one of them yesterday. And what he was saying is like, I cannot get to think about anything. Everything I'm doing is on the fly right now. It is like coming at me um, constantly. And, and I, I'm not able to be thoughtful. Well, guess what? If he had not done you know, his inner work, he happens to be a very effective leader. Um, some of those decisions he was making on the fly would probably not be very good ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you a, a kind of question from that question. When you say the inner work, can you give us maybe some core questions or things that if we're, we're finding ourselves like, hey, because I remember about, I really remember feeling, and I'm kind of an instinctual person, but this is just kind of how I'm built, mm -hmm. is on instinct. And I'm like, hey, I feel like I need to develop these leadership skills 
for what's going to happen in the future. I really don't know what that looks like or what that means. And I did not, I feel like the foundational work has come alongside the leadership instead of in advance, which would have definitely been a lot better. Um, I didn't have the resources then. I would have loved to have had a program like Transforming Success. So what are kind of the foundational questions that we should be asking if we're either there already in leadership or in advance of potential leadership advancement in our careers? That What is that internal work? That What are some of the core questions we should be asking ourselves? So um, I'm, I'm going to answer this in two ways because I think there are two pieces to that. Um, you know, in terms of core questions, a lot of them have to do with who I am as a person, and um, how I'm going how I'm going to live a life where I'm showing up as that person. So, for instance, what is it that I really need in my life in order to feel satisfied and fulfilled? Not how am I going to attain work-life balance, which does not exist, and if it does, it exists for small moments in time and is not sustainable, right? So, how do I think about my life in a way that I can be fulfilled and therefore working at my best? You all have all been around leaders who are worn down and um, are not living their best lives and they are not good leaders and they are not pleasant to be around. Um, another question is, what are the things that are invisible to me that may be holding me back from making the changes that I want to make? I think that's particularly relevant to this group because you, know, you all are providing people um, with the financial knowledge and tools that they need but you're also providing them with support to help them work through the reasons that they may not be following all of those best practices. Um, we can know technically how to make a change, but if I have um, issues with money that prevent me from making that change, I can read all the books, I can join all the wealth edits, um, I'm still not going to make that, that change. Mm -hmm. um, I think another question to ask yourself is what are my strengths and how do I as a leader live into and lead from those strengths rather than focusing on my weaknesses and how do I build a team around me that I know is complementary? Um, it can, can um, bolster us in places, bolster me in places that are not my strength. Yeah. Jules, you want to add anything? Yeah. I, I mean, what I would add really is, is sort of like a, an umbrella way of thinking about is it, you know, most bad leadership is the result of lack of self-awareness. Most people don't get up in the morning and say, I'm going to really be a bad leader today. Um, today's the day. You know, they, they, everybody gets up and wants to, you know, do their best. But if we haven't gotten enough sleep, if we're really anxious about something, if we're struggling in an area of our lives, it's going to show up. And, and so we have to have that self-awareness in all of those places that Lisa just described and others, um, because that's, you know, that is what, that's how we show up in the world is whatever's going on internally. What would y'all say to people who may be, who may feel like they weren't meant to be a leader? I have a, a daughter who's very um, introverted and quiet and we've had questions, you know, discussions about being a leader and she's like, well, I don't really like to be the one that's the leader, but there's so many different ways to lead other than just, yeah big glaring yeah. things that everybody thinks about. How would y'all speak into those of us who maybe feel like, I really feel like I'm best as a doer, not a leader? Yeah, I mean, Lisa Lisa and I probably have very different answers to this. So I'll, I'll start and then I'll, I'll let her add to it. You know, I really do, um, 
I mean, I think there's that old leadership paradigm of people who are extroverted and people who like to be the center of attention and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I love Brene Brown's definition of leader. It's, it's, you know, somebody who is willing to, um, you know, sort of walk into the vulnerability of helping people and processes be, you know, reach their potential. And that can look a thousand different ways, you know, um, it's how you show up and how you serve others. That's what makes you a leader. And so you don't have to be the, you know, the, the president of your class. You don't have to be the CEO. Like we all have, um, it, when we're operating from what we call a place of personal power, then we can exhibit leadership. And, and we give lots of examples, you know, um, Rosa Parks and Malala and, you know, people who had no position power, who were not in any way um, people who had decision-making power or resources or whatever, we know their name because they were leaders. They operated from a place of personal power that was consistent with their values and who they are. And their goal is to, is to serve others. So I think those are ways that we can kind of redefine leadership. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, we have, um, we as a culture, have adopted a definition of leadership that is not accurate. Um, and if you look, you know, my um, academic background is in leadership. And um, if you look at the old guard, it is about, you know, the one man as the, the leader. Um, you know, the research has evolved to show us that very often the most effective leadership is not the leadership that comes from the top. And hello, look at what's happening around us right now. If you're walking outside and you're wearing a mask when no one else is wearing a mask, you're a leader. Mm -hmm. If you showed up to one of the rallies um, that have happened uh, in protest of racial injustice and all you did was stand there, not even hold a sign, you're a leader. Leadership is about, um, as Julie said, living into your values and influencing others through your actions. That's a really good word. Um, okay, so this is switching gears a little bit. So at the Wealth Audit, we often see a confidence gap in women and talking about finances. It's been ingrained in us since we were little girls. And I tell this story a lot of times how Mary Cavill, my middle daughter, she said, Mama, do we have $1,000? I said, yeah, we have $1,000. She goes, how many thousands do we have? I'm like, oh, I am not telling you that. And I almost was like money shaming her from the start, even though I teach people not to money shame their children, particularly their daughters. And so, you know, it's just one of those things that's like ingrained in us. And so, you know, how I think that holds women back in talking about their finances. They did this study um, for Christianity. I think it was Christianity Today did this study where they surveyed seven, they were looking for 1,500 responses from cr Christian women. They got 7,000 responses and 6% of the women in that particular subset felt comfortable um, stewarding their wealth. That is a tragic number. And, you know, so how do we sort of, um, what advice would you give for women who feel this way and how can we kind of push through that confidence gap? Um, my first response is by doing what the two of you, Lauren and Emily are doing. And that is forming spaces where it's safe to have the conversations um, where people can be vulnerable and talk about some of the reasons that it is hard for them to talk about money. You know, to go back to what I said um, earlier about sometimes the invisible barriers that hold us back from making changes we want to make, in order to recognize what those invisible barriers are, we have to 
Um, we, we do it in work with others. It isn't something we can do for ourselves. Jules, you want to add something? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, just to expand on that, I think that a lot of times it, it sort of comes back to that self-awareness, like cultivating self-awareness. What are the things that make it hard for me to ask questions that make it hard for me to confront difficult decisions that are maybe lessons I learned a long time ago? Like we don't talk about money or, you know, the, those kinds of things, like bringing those to the surface and understanding those are probably the things that get in the way because y'all both know there's plenty of information out there about how to manage your finances and plan for retirement. That's not the problem. The problem is, is some of that internal stuff that we haven't yet examined and we don't even maybe know is there that right. gets in the way. And having you know, these kinds of conversations makes it safe for people to talk about it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add, um, since we're sharing, um, this is an issue that Julie and I in our partnership have to, to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Julie is an excellent planner um, we have been extremely careful with our, our money, but um, she has this sense that we're constantly like, you know, $100 away from being a bag lady under a bridge, mm -hmm. whether or not the data support that or not. Um, and well, it doesn't help to show her, you know, the numbers, you know, it's an, it's an emotional reaction. So yeah. I love how Lisa is willing to share my story. That's yeah, okay. Absolutely. <laughs> But it's true. I mean, I, you know, I am second generation immigrant. My dad came from Ireland, like, you know, he grew up poorer than poor. And those were the messages that I grew up with. And so it really always was like the wolf is at the door and there's one can of beans left in the cupboard. And, you know, what are we going to do? So I think we all have our own messages and our own experiences about money that have shaped us. And we have to be able to talk about it and, and sort of lay it out in front of us and say, is this reality? And Lisa and I have these conversations, as she said all the time, that doesn't necessarily change it. It, cre it creeps back into my psyche. And then I have to, you know, look at it and push it back out again with facts. So, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a universal experience, I think. Just and that shows up. back to that, like self-awareness that I think is just so important in leadership. And when you're thinking about your money is like, when you find yourself in, like when your throat's a little bit closing up, whether that's in leadership, I mean, that's what happens to me physically. I don't know if y'all have different physical responses. I have to really stop myself in that, in that very second and be like, why am I doing this? Like, why in this particular moment am I like, clamming up a little bit or feel a little uncomfortable and really kind of getting underneath the hood of why that's happening. Like, why does, why am I uncomfortable right this minute? And maybe you can't evaluate it right then because you're in, in the mm -hmm. moment. And if you're in one of those situations, maybe the best thing is to say like, Hey, I need a little bit to think about this. Just think it yeah. over. If you wouldn't mind just giving me a little bit of time. Um, that's worked for me because I realize that I'm someone that has to pull back from a situation in order to fully evaluate it. Um, other people might have a different um, way of dealing with that. But I think it's that self-awareness that's such a common thread. We are not taught in the South to be very self-aware. I don't know if anywhere else you are, but I know in the South we are not. So very other aware. Yeah. Make sure everybody else is okay. Take care of everybody. Don't ruffle any feathers. Yeah. Yes. And don't listen to what's happening inside you if it goes against what you've been told is the right thing to do, mm -hmm. right? So we're actually taught quite the opposite. So, I mean, I love what you said, Lauren, because what you described is the very essence of self-awareness. It is being able to be grounded in your body and in your mind 
in the moment so that you can recognize those signs. So many of us have gotten numbed out to those signals um, and we cannot, we can't grow until we're able to listen to them. Yeah, and, and it, it, it is ongoing. Like it never, spoiler alert, it never ends. <laughs> like you have to keep working at it because we have different experiences and things get triggered in ways that never got triggered before, you know, because we've, we've now started a business or we've now, you know, had to pivot our business or we're entering a new job or whatever it is. So, so that, that, that cultivating and sort of staying tuned in and being self-aware is an ongoing necessity, I would say. And then I think if you can go there, then the second, and I, lo I love that y'all are trained in Brene Brown. I love her. I think a lot of people do, but um, that video of her with like, the, or that she created, it's a cartoon video. I encourage all of y'all, and if I can find the link, I'll send it. I, I showed it to Emily the other day, but it's a okay. YouTube video where it's the empathy, where she's talking about empathy and it's like an antelope and a bear. Do you yeah. know, is that what it is? Yeah. And I think that the reason I bring that up is because that's the first time I've been able to, I'm a visual person, really see what empathy looks like versus sympathy. And mm -hmm. she does it in such a fun, cute way. So we'll send the link after the call if we can find it. But either way, just Google Brene Brown cartoon empathy and it's going to come up. But yeah. um, I think that really, and that's kind of our last question because I know we're wrapping up and I want to give time for questions to the audience. But in all that's going on in our world right now, where we feel if, if we're white, we feel the burden of white privilege. We feel confused if this is the first time that we've ever thought about this before in those terms. Um, we feel scared. I know my children feel very scared about what a protest means or a riot means. Um, so we're dealing with all this like multifaceted stuff that's happening um, and com combine it with having a global pandemic where we all have been put in some form of isolation, um, whether that's for coworkers, families, friends, relationships. Um, it's causing us to be incredibly raw right now, whether we want to be or not. So maybe talk to us about empathy as a skill, what you would do to navigate if you're in hard conversations that you don't want to be in right now. Um, I feel like y'all are just well positioned to give us a little bit of advice on that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, um, what I would say is you're exactly right. Empathy is a skill and it, it's got, you know, specific components to it. So, so one of the, one of the components is to be able to connect to the feeling. And if we can't do anything else, just being able to connect to what that other person is feeling is sort of the, the heart of empathy, but also being able to um, kind of have, you know, this, this perspective component to it, you know, being able to, if, even if my lived experience is not the same as yours, being able to listen and hear and understand that is your true experience. Um, even though I don't have, it, it doesn't seem familiar to me at all um, is crucial. And I think that's the time that we're in is a lot of us have a lot of learning to do and a lot of listening to do and a lot of seeking to understand other people's lived experience. I think when we can do that, um, we can understand maybe why they are showing up the, the way that they are today or, or in the world. And, um, and be able to, to connect you know, with their experience a little bit more. Yeah, I think one of the big misconceptions about empathy is that if I'm empathetic with someone else, it means that I am validating the argument they're making rather than I'm validating the feelings that they have. You know, one of the things um, to go back to Brene since you brought up that she'll, she'll say is like, if you felt loved, if you felt unloved, if you felt left out, if you felt um, you know, anxious, if you felt angry, guess what? You're empathy certified. 
-hmm. You can be empathetic with anyone because the feeling, that's right. And um, I find that this is really a, a hard conversation in many companies because the word empathy has been um, synonymous with being soft on people. Mm. And that has nothing to do with empathy. Mm. It really has to do with being able to be with a person in a moment and say, you know what, um, I've never lost a parent, but um, I understand sadness and I understand loss and um, I get it and, and I'm here for you. And to, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say to you, just like, I'm just so glad that you told me, you know, like that is not something that she brought up in right. that video. And it's such a good response. Like, yep. thank you for sharing. I'm so yep. glad that you told me that, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's where it's connected to leadership. It's like, if I understand what's going on for you in your life and I can connect to it. And, um, you know, the next question is, how can I help you? What do you need? You know, how can we make this work for you? If, if I need to, you know, if, if we need you to, to finish the spreadsheets this week and you're not able to do it because you've just sustained a terrible loss, let's figure out what needs to happen. Let's get you what you need. Let's get our business what it needs. It doesn't mean, you know, we all just sort of like um, stop living life and stop doing what needs to be done. It, both of those things can happen. It just requires kind of a different mindset and a different way of going about it. I love that. I think it's just being aware of yourself and others around you, which yeah. is a skill that I have to practice a lot, <laughs> you know, on both ends. It's just being aware of it and knowing that sometimes I do well and sometimes I do poorly, you know? Yeah. And let me, let me just add one other thing. I mean, I think, I think along with empathy, we need to practice a lot of self-compassion because anytime you're in a leadership position, you're going to get it wrong. You know, you're going to mess up, you're going to miss something. And we need to be able to not go back and beat ourselves up, but say, you know what, I did the best I could with what I had. I've got some learning to do, you know, and I need to do some work, but I'm not a bad person. I'm not a, you know, a, a terrible leader. I just, I made a mistake. I got it wrong. That's amazing advice and some that I think we probably all really need to take to heart. <laughs> Um, okay, so I know people probably have a lot of questions, and so I'd love if everybody wants to, if you want to take yourself off mute and ask a question or use the chat feature. Sometimes it's a quiet group. Okay. Julie and I always tell people we're psychologists, so we are um, perfectly happy to sit in silence. <laughs> okay. We're trained. We have a question. I don't know if y'all can see it, but I'll read it out loud. I manage a team, this is from Courtney. Thanks, Courtney, for the question. I manage a team of seven. One of the women on my team cries often at work, more than once a week. It puts me and the rest of the team on eggshells. I feel like I'm always tiptoeing around her and holding and hold back feedback, critique, et cetera, because it elicits more tears. And other team members have indicated when she's having a bad day, we all feel it. We can't run a business this way. And I can't imagine that this emotional reaction she has is related to our work, marketing for real estate resort development. I'm exhausted. Send help. <laughs> it's a great question. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Jules, do you want to okay, jump I, I'm trying to turn off my notifications? Sorry. Um, okay. so yeah. let me, I have a, um, a couple thoughts about this. Um, the first has to do with having a conversation with this individual. Um, and I don't know, Courtney, um, whether or not you've spoken to her before about what's, what's going on with her. And this is where, um, you know, again, we want to make it clear 
that being em empathetic with someone does not mean allowing behavior to continue that is not productive for the organization. So um, she will she needs to understand that her be this behavior is having an effect on other people. But you need to understand what's going on for her and whether or not there is support that you might be able to reasonably um, provide that might be helpful to her. What is hard about being in a situation where someone cries is that it tends to shut other people down. And we feel like we can't continue the conversation. Sometimes the crying can be manipulative in that way, but oftentimes it really is just someone who does not, who the feelings are at the, the surface. And so my advice, I get this question a lot from people who are scared to give feedback during performance reviews because they're afraid the other person is going to cry. Um, and I always advise um, people to say, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry that this is upsetting to you. I understand that it is. Um, here is some Kleenex. Um, do you need us to, to pause? Because if not, I'd like to go ahead and continue the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and Jules, what do you want to add? Yeah, and, and I would say, you know, it may end up being a series of conversations. And, and I think, you know, really focusing on, um, you know, what, what, the experts call adopting a learning stance, trying to understand and, and hear what is going on for this person. Again, not for the purpose of giving them a pass, because that's not going to work, but for the purpose of understanding, is there something else that they need? You know, do they need um, time off? Do they need to be in a different position? Like what, you know, it could be a million different things, but the more we can tune in and, and sort of sit with that discomfort, the more information we can gather about what needs to happen differently. And I think that's a great example of, and I don't want this to sound harsh, but it's a great example of where empathy and accountability both need to happen because um, this is not working and you're exhausted and it's affecting everybody. So, so there needs to, something needs to change. Yeah, I mean, one very practical suggestion is I would go into the conversation sort of having in my back pocket resources that you could recommend to her. I don't know if you're here in Birmingham, but Oasis is a wonderful um, resource for people on any place in the financial spectrum. Um, so if you are with an organization that has an EAP, you know, being able mm -hmm. to provide someone with that information. So I think it, it's always good to be, have something to offer. Um, you cannot compel or suggest that an employee um, get that help, but you can, you know, say that I want to let you know that this um, resource exists. Thank you. And Julie, that's awesome advice. And we just want to thank y'all so much for being here today. And I'd love, can y'all tell us how people can find out more information about um, transforming success? Yes. So we are actually in the midst of revamping our website, which hopefully will be up by the end of this month. We have a, we have a current website um, that you can go to uh, www.mcdonaldgram.com that tells you about transforming success and the other services that we offer. Um, and actually what we're getting ready to launch in the early 2021 is a virtual version of transforming success um, in an open enrollment format. We've never done that before. Typically we deliver it inside of corporations, um, but we've gotten a lot of requests for being able for people to be able to participate even if their corporate, their organization doesn't sponsor it. So um, we're excited about that. And that'll be on our new website, yeah. So, and I just put into the um, chat, if you text the word human to 33777, did I get that number right, Jules? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, that it will give you a prompt to sign up for, you know, our newsletter where we'll be sharing information about, um, you know, future sessions of 
sessions of transforming success um, and lots of other stuff. You can always unsubscribe. Um, so I always like to say that if you sign up, you are not stuck hearing from us when you're not interested in doing so. And we also have a private Facebook group um, called Psychology at Work, where um, we just share, you know, kind of thoughts and ideas and information articles. We have some um, guest speakers. Actually, I think Lauren's going to be one of our guest speakers mm -hmm. this month. Um, so we just like to try to share with y'all interesting things that, that we're discovering or that we think would be helpful. So um, maybe we'll see you there. Okay, well, thank you guys so much. And um, for Wealth Edit members, we do, we're, you know, working on our wealth circles. And so tomorrow we are um, hosting at noon, which is a different time. Um, but if you want to join us at noon, we're going to be talking with Francis Nolan, who's an attorney here in Birmingham, who's going to talk about how um, to negotiate for ourselves. So that should be great. Let me plug Francis. If y'all don't know her, she is amazing. Amazing. So tune in. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the great, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think these wealth circles, that's sort of that smaller connectivity. I don't know if anybody just who's in one of our wealth circles wants to speak up very quickly. Um, I know that's kind of a, a brave ask, but um, just about the experience, but it really is special to be a part of one. And this one's an open one. We have one that's closed on financial minimalism. This one's more like come if you can, but just to get that kind of smaller community feel, which is what a lot of you have asked that we provide. So we're really diligently trying to um, provide that to you all. Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. thanks so much. Thanks, Lisa. Take care, everyone. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you want to learn more about our website, please check us out at www.wealthedit.com. The Wealth Edit is an online membership-based community for women looking to confidently discuss and expand their knowledge of personal finance. Our community provides a space for women of all ages to gather, learn, and plan their financial journey through virtual courses, weekly guest speakers, and educational content.